legends and welcome to Unbeatable You, where we connect, thrive and conquer. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm super grateful for your valuable time. So let's just dive straight in. Keep thriving and enjoy. Leave it there because I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that during, <laughs> during this chat. Amazing. <laughs> All right. Jacob O'Neill, you are an initiation coach for men. You mm. run retreats and workshops and you've also got a podcast with your partner. I'm really intrigued to know and understand what is an initiation coach and why is it important in your beliefs? Mm. So, thank you for asking that. Holy shit. <laughs> for me, men have been taught to run on a linear scale. And we've seen women honor their cycle, their menstrual cycle, honor the seasons of life that they go through. They have a, a framework. And in the Western culture, what I really reflected upon after spending time in South America and really, really deepening into other lineage teachings, especially around spirituality, was men had this cycle. And this cycle was the cycle of initiation, which was a process that they were put through to acknowledge that they were moving into the next season of life. Like a rite of passage? Rite of passage, exactly that. And when I, I'm quite a reflective human and a deep thinker, when I started to do some self-inquiry about my moments of initiation, there wasn't a reverence and honoring or a, a moment of like, hey, this is you stepping into the next season of your life. We want to acknowledge that this is what you need support in. This is what you need to move through to be able to take on the responsibility of what that means. And I see so many men in a season of life that they haven't fully chosen or that they aren't aware of that they've chosen, whether that's fatherhood, whether that's uh, just becoming an adult and having the access to alcohol, to driving a car, to running a business, to being responsible for a family. And what I believe initiation is, it's the honoring of your choosing that next season. And that, like, that gives you a framework to work within as a man. And structure is something that I've had a love-hate relationship with. I think I came through and my upbringing taught me to be very controlling and try to regulate everyone's emotions around me. So I was the king of structure, but from a place of fear. And I didn't know how to actually like choose responsibility because I didn't have these initiatory experiences and I didn't have anyone to give them to me either. I think there was the desire for them to, to be there from both myself and my father, but we didn't really have, have structure for that. And I grew up, I went to church and I, um, I did martial arts and I did these things, but there was no real moments of conversation around what that means, what these teachings were actually allowing me to step into and what I was going to, what was waiting for me after I turned 18? What was waiting for me when I went through puberty? What was waiting for me when I got a 
when I got a girlfriend or when I wanted to start a business, what responsibility I was saying yes to and what rite of passage I could be put through that could give me the capacity to meet whatever challenges would be in that season of life. So what does it look like if the guys are choosing that next phase or next season as opposed to not choosing it? So choosing this is just really the conscious and sub subconscious mind. And this is a lot of um, coaches use this framework. But for me, consciously choosing something is to actually open your heart to it. Subconsciously is just sort of being thrown in with yourself tensed up. So consciously is actually relaxing into and will it's a willingness. And I know I speak to a lot of men about relate. Like relationships is something that comes up a lot for men, uh, especially in this modern modern society where things aren't as structured anymore. And they feel like they're being forced to do something. They feel like they're they're caged by life. So for me, when you choose something, there's a sense of freedom. I'm choosing this. There's a sovereignty. It's coming from within. Whereas unconsciously is like the world is choosing this for me and I have no, I have no power. So really what initiation does is actually allows you to reclaim your power and rather than be pushed through the door, you actually turn the knob, open it and walk through it yourself. So I'm thinking of, a lot of the demographic of blokes I work with are middle-aged men, sort of between the age of 35 and 55 to 60. And a lot of them are business owners or leaders. Mm. And so I feel like if they're listening, they would be kind of questioning and some of them might feel like, yeah, actually I stumbled into business. I went from a tradie into my own business or I got my degree and then went out on my own mm. and it was kind of just feeling like I needed to but then some other guys might be thinking well no I guess I chose it because I chose to go for through my trade and then I chose to um, start my own business Mm. what's the difference between choosing to have something like that or choosing yeah I want a family and then falling pregnant as opposed to I I, I'm sensing that there's a, a choosing of yourself as well and a choosing of a process to put you into that next phase in a much more ready state yeah I think there's um The way that I, I see it is like, oh, I felt the world, I felt I was responding to the world. The world was almost pressuring me to make a choice or there's a, I, I must make a choice now. And there's this sense of urgency, which you finish uni, you're like, well, fuck, I better get a job or fuck, I'm, I, I, I'm working on the tools and I need, I need to, like the pressure of like, I don't want to do this anymore. I need to get a job. I need to, I need to start a business rather. The, the first part of an initiation is the call. So this will probably make a lot more sense if I explain the call. The call comes from within. And if you're busy, you're not going to hear the call. If you're focusing outside of yourself, you're not going to hear the call. So maybe it is that you have a woman that wants a child and you choose that from, because that's what the world wants from you. But you haven't actually checked in and asked yourself, is this what is actually calling me right now? Is fatherhood what is calling me right now? And there's, you know, for me, it's like, It'll ha- it's going to happen regardless. There is the, the world wants to, to move as the world wants to move, but it's about where are we coming from. So the call, have you heard of the feather, the brick and the bus? Remind me, it sounds familiar. This is, a, this is something that I, I speak to most men about. It's like the call, the first 
version of the call is the tickle of a feather. So if you're busy and you're doing and you're in a state of rushing or moving through life and like, hey, yeah, business here, family here, this here, that there, you're not going to feel the tickle of a feather because you're not attuned to that, that fine sensitivity. So the feather will tickle you a few times. Maybe it's that you need to go and maybe it's that you need to go and get um, a personal trainer to get fit. But business is so busy. You've got your kids. You've got your wife. And maybe it's that your friends want to go on a surf trip. And you know that would be great for the soul. But I'm just too busy. The tickle to go and do something for yourself. Or maybe it's the tickle to go and do something for for your family. Maybe it's this, to go and have a conversation with your father, and you just like deny it. The next step, once you deny the feather a few times, then that's when the brick comes along. And the brick will get thrown through your, your window of your house. Glass will go everywhere. And then there's a brick sitting at your feet. And you're like, holy shit, where did that come from? And then you look at the brick and you're like, well, it didn't hit anyone. Oh, that broken window, it's easier to fix the window and just put this brick outside than it is to actually address why it was thrown in here in the first place. So I'll just get a new window. That might happen three or four times. Might happen five or ten times. Depends on how good you are at fixing windows. And as men, we're pretty good at fixing things. We're pretty good at patching it up and keeping the show on the road. It's actually one of the things that makes us awesome as men is our ability to keep the show on the road. And I think that I want to celebrate that for a moment because I don't want to make it a bad thing. I love men who can keep on going. They can endure this, the, the pain and suffering. But at the same time, it can become a badge of honor. So men collect bricks. But what happens after the brick is the tragic part. And this is the bit that, um, yeah, that, that, that breaks my heart is that the bus comes along. And the bus has two forms. The bus can come and drive straight through your front door and railroad you and completely run you over. And, like, that can be a health issue if you've been focusing on business and family and everyone else. And these guys, you know, I saw, I've seen it happen to a lot of my father's friends. I've seen it happen to my father. I've seen it happen to, you know, my yeah, one of my old bosses who passed away last year and they get absolutely sideswiped by this bus. They don't even know where it came from because they've been so focused outside of themselves. But the bus has another version and this is where the bus comes along. It pulls up out the front and everything that you've worked for or everything that you've ever loved will hop on and drive away and then you're left alone. And a lot of men collect bricks and they don't do anything until the bus comes. Powerful. So when it comes to initiation, my role is to create enough sensitivity in your body for you to be able to feel the tickle of a feather mm. rather than have the bus pull up. So when you were saying earlier about responding to the heart, not just mm. the head, it's doing the practices to allow us to tap into that that mm. intuitive sense within. I, I've always said over the years to people – uh, I guess it's kind of the analogy of the bus wiping you out, but don't wait for the tsunami in your life before you make change. That's exactly it. And I love I love this philosophy. I love it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to share mm. it with people because I think it's a real aha moment and, mm. you know, that tickle of the feather. So doing the work allows us to feel the, the tickle of the feather, it sounds like. In your life, before doing this work, did you shift into this because of a tickle of the feather? a brick through the window or a dozen bricks through the window or has there been a bus that's fucking wiped you out? <laughs> I, I'm 33. I've just recently got married and I'm, I'm loving life and I'm, I'm in that phase of building my kingdom. So I'm like, I'm at the start of like, oh, 
life is full of opportunity. I probably haven't had too many big hard knocks, but I have had those those bricks. And I think I haven't had too many, I haven't had any buses yet. Not to say that it won't. I'm a pretty headstrong, uh, proud man. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I, I have I have my own work to do and that will continue. But uh I didn't ever make my own decisions. I let life make them for me. I was quite strong, I was quite a passive uh man or and, and a young young man as well. I let everyone else make decisions for me. Kind of like the, I'm sure you you speak to your clients with the nice guy, the people pleaser kind of energy. That's sort of where I came from. I uh, when I was 10 years old, like I don't know I, this this always comes up, but I I threw a massive tantrum on. I played softball for my school and I threw this massive tantrum, and I got shamed for my the level of passion I had for sport, and I can pinpoint when the fire got put out. It was. It was when I was 10 years old. I had like three or four, I guess they would a version of a bus. I knocked, I fell off my push bike and knocked my my front teeth out and cut my lip off. We moved out of our family home and we, my parents were having, were going through quite a, a struggle of trying to get into this new house and their relationship wasn't awesome. And then I threw this hissy fit on the softball field and blew up at all my teammates, told them they're all shit. No one cares as much as I do. Why can't we just fucking, why can't you catch the ball? And I was so, so hyped up. And then I got shamed. No one really taught me how to use that fire. I just got told that that was wrong. And from that moment, I couldn't score a goal. I couldn't, I couldn't take a wicket. I couldn't do anything against anyone else. I, could, I barely, I would, I would have an open goal in soccer and I would pass it so someone else could score the goal. I didn't have that killer instinct anymore. And that pretty much put me on a path of never making my making decisions for my own life. I refused to get my license until my dad forced me to. I didn't actually go out looking for a girlfriend. I waited for a girl to ask me out. I never chose to go on holidays. I always waited for my mates to choose the holiday. So I was uh, doing that over and over again. And I guess they were my versions of the bus, but I remember I was in love with this girl and I thought we're going to stay in Wee War, this small country town. We're going to live happily ever after. And she's like, I'm going overseas on my own. She broke my heart. Thankfully, God, it was the biggest blessing, but I didn't see it coming. So it was a bus. And then I went through my own uh, tsunami of moving to Brisbane and uh, doing a uni degree, but just partying and carrying on. And I came out of that cycle and that's when I met my now wife, Meg. And this is where I let, like, she is the most elegant thrower of bricks. <laughs> oh, she's the thrower of she's bricks. She's the thrower of bricks. She's, and it's, it's, it's her, she, she throws, and I, I say this because she's such an initiatress and I honor when women can hold that without forcing anything on men. And six months into our relationship, sorry, six months, maybe maybe 18 months, I'd gone and gotten a full-time job. And once I'd chosen to say yes to the relationship with her, all of my stuff kicked in. Okay, get a safe job. Okay, start saving for a house. Okay, do the things that, it, that she needs you to do. I didn't ask her if she wanted any of that. <laughs> I just got to work based on my own beliefs. And 18 months in, she called me. Uh, when I was back home in my hometown, she's like, hey, I'm going this way. I want this. 
I want a life of possibility. I want to expand, grow an adventure. And I want to do it with you. But you feel like you're, you're complete. You feel like you're happy where you are. And if you are, that's okay. But if you want to come with me, now's the time. Otherwise, I'm, I, I'm complete with you. And that to me was the first time I got to consciously choose to say yes to something. She gave me the opportunity to say yes. She didn't say, you don't love me, show me that you love me. She didn't make it about her. She said, hey, this is where I'm going. This is what, this is what I want. Would you like to come on this adventure with me? And I remember because I was sitting on my mum's bathtub <laughs> in my family home. It was so funny. It was such a, 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 a rite of passage moment. And I um, was sitting on the bathtub naked with tears running down my eyes on the phone. And I was just like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes to this. Yes, I'm in. I'm all in. Little did I know what was going to come for me after that. I didn't realize how challenging it would be, but also how beautiful. But I said, I'm in. I'm all in. I, I, I'm willing. I said, I'm not going to get it fucking right. I'm not perfect, but I'm willing. Let me let let me give this a red hot fucking crack, and that was when everything changed. How often do you think that a conversation like that, either from one side or the other of the relationship, is important? Because one of the things that I hear often, so I mostly work with guys, is, um, and it's usually in the reverse. So I've got friends who do relationship coaching too, and it usually comes from the woman when they say, "Oh, how do I get my my man involved? Like, I, I just wish that he would do some work and catch up and things like that." But it, often with the guys that I work with, it's it's not necessarily like that. Sometimes it is where mm. they're a bit, their partners are a bit shut down to them. But often it's like from a place of love, like, "Oh, my wife's seeing this, and our relationship is improving, and they're keen, but not really sure where to start." But a conversation like that, and you guys work you do relationship coaching, you and your partner, mm. Meg. How do you, how important is that? And then how do you get to that point in a relationship? Oh man, it's... Is it's it a, self-trust? Is it like the open communication? Is it's it vulnerability, man. It's on our own paths and come together. It's willing to put the relationship on the line for truth. We have a saying that we keep on harping on about in every single thing that we run and we say it like truth, truth liberates. Truth will set you free. Truth will set you free. Yeah, but I don't know how he's going to react if I if I say, can you? If he's not, if if you're if you're more concerned about how he's going to react, then you're you're not allowing the truth mm. to 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 be to be present in your relationship. So we're more of afraid of an outcome that might be uncomfortable, not necessarily a bad one, mm. and really. We want to be. We need to be moving through that uncomfortability to, for things to shift. If it's got to that point, yeah, man, you can't go around it. You can't go over it or under it. You got to go through it. And a relationship is a container for for growth. You are. It's a. It's going to bring up all your shit. And if you don't think it's going to, then don't have one. Or you, you're you're sorely mistaken. Mm-hmm. Like this person is going to see you, or this person is your most intimate person. Like they're the closest to you, really. If we look at you know relationships, you want to you want to be able to tell them everything. You want to be able to open to them. So, the the challenge, and just to revisit your question, was: Is your heart open or closed when you're communicating? That's what I that's what I invite women to to see, and also men be like: Oh, are you are you open or closed right now? Because if you're closed, how, how do they know? 
closed, they'll, they'll 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 be projecting or they'll be focusing on external. Open is they'll be they'll be coming from an I place. I I feel this. Hey lover, I'm. It's really uncomfortable for me to share this with you, but I just I just know that I need to bring this to the space. I I really need more time with you. I know work's important, and I'm so grateful for all that you bring in financially. And you have this beautiful house, and I'm I, I see how passionate you are about your work. But I need I need one one evening a week where it's just me and you and nothing else. I would really like that for me would would mean the world to me, and. I don't, I'm not going to force you to give it to me, but I need you to know that that's a deep desire of mine because I want to feel connected to you. I don't want you to just think that you need to give me all these things. I chose you. And all this other stuff is great, but I chose you. So I'd love more, some more time with you. Can we make that happen? Why don't these conversations happen more? We're scared that we're going to lose what it is that we're wanting. So we're, we're, we're willing to be okay with what we've got because we're, we fear losing that. So to open up that kind of conversation means that what we have has to change. And that's a vulnerable thing. It's a really vulnerable thing to share because you're putting, you're, you're putting it on the line. If he says no, then that is going to be clarity that, hey, this man can't give you what you want. Is he the man for you then? Is it also because we just don't get taught how to communicate in relationships? We don't get taught anything about relationships. There's not a subject on it. There's not an introduction to it. We learn it through uh, what we see with our friends' relationships, but most importantly, our parents' relationships and our grandparents' <laughs> relationships. So if we haven't had great role models and those mm. generations weren't great communicators and relationships meant different things where mm. it was more the women's role is this and the man's role is that and there's these expectations which thankfully that's been obliterated in oh i shouldn't say obliterated that's no longer the norm mm. which is great however the transfer of those kind of relationships has just gone through the generations mm. and so we get to in relationship now and we're like oh well without even realizing obviously subconsciously we're playing out what we saw and what we were around with our parents and grandparents. Yep. Exactly that. We we only have what we were exposed to and there's no rite of passage. There's no hey, what does it mean to get married? Mm. <laughs> what does it mean to choose a woman and say I want to spend the rest of my life with you? What does it mean to have sex with a woman for the first time? What does it mean to have sex with a woman anytime you have sex with her? What are you choosing in that moment to honor, to, to, yeah, this is very much like I can always come back to choice. What am I choosing? Uh, but I, yeah, I grew up and I was a, I was a very, very hopeless romantic. I watched all the movies and all the child, you know, all the Disney movies and all these things. And I got this fantasy. romantic movies. Yeah. The fantasy of like riding off into the sunset happily ever after. Yeah, but what happens the next day when someone has to, you know, make breakfast? Or so, you know, that person spills, you know, spills something on the, the new couch that you just bought. Your partner does something that triggers you. Like, you don't, you don't know how to handle those things because you're not taught. And for me, school is a place where, yeah, I didn't learn anything about relationships. And I believe it's still that way. And it's still that way. So, so do you feel like your work is, is really important in helping this transition of, what a relationship 
actually is or can be mm. and how we can navigate them. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And and that just comes back to how do how do we initiate ourselves as men into these these roles? And what do these roles mean and how do they affect the people that we love? And I'm not saying that it's our job more than it is women, but it is like love goes first, man. Love always goes first whether it's from your partner or you. Like someone, someone has to set the tone of vulnerability. Someone has to put it all on the line. That's what, that's what a, a proposal is. This ring represents my choice to, to expose myself to a lifetime with you. That's vulnerable. That's like, and, and vulnerability in action is, is courage. And that, that to me is like, that is those moments, like when men put it all on the line, that's what makes you trustworthy. Not how much money you got in the bank, not how fast your car is, not how big your house is. Like your willingness to put it all on the line and say, "I'm this. This is what I want," and I'm willing to say, "I'm willing to put myself on the line for that." I'm willing to expose myself to the no, even though I want a yes. You know what I think is also courageous in relationships, and you're more of an expert here in this, but uh, it's it's courageous to believe that your relationship can get better and better <laughs> because don't you hear it all too often? Like what's a traditional Aussie saying when, when you get married? Oh, it's all downhill from here, mate. Yeah. And so there's these beliefs thrown at us and then kids come along and that completely shook my, my wife and I have an amazing relationship and we had these very naive, beautiful <laughs> images of how it would just continue smooth sailing with yep. kids. And, you know, we've been shaken up quite a lot quite often but one thing we keep coming back to we've got a really open communication relationship and mm. don't get me wrong we still argue and bicker and you know i i don't think we ever had an argument until we had kids mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden like we were saying before it brings up the shit in in our life like the shadow behaviors and under fatigue and things come through and thank god we've got a really good relationship where it's like when we come back to it, it's like okay we actually both don't take offense to it because mm. we realized that was a heat of the moment. That was us from our emotionally reactive amygdala. That wasn't who we are or what we think of this relationship. So, but one thing that we have always said and we keep checking each other on is our best days are ahead of us. Mm. Our best days are ahead of us. And fuck, we've had some great times. We've had some amazing adventures and play and fucking great times. Mm. But we still believe our best days are ahead of us. And we get to choose that because if we choose oh, our best days are behind us and it's all downhill from here, guess how the relationship's <laughs> going to unfold? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, that gets me going. It gets to be this good. That's my every – to, every morning it gets to be this good. Mm. It gets to be this good, man. I get to wake up. I've got a beautiful woman in my bed. Yeah, sometimes she pisses me off. Yeah, sometimes she, you know, she does things that drive me mad. But I, I get – it gets to be this good. I get to choose this. I get to go out and make coffee. I get to go out and welcome the day. I, I, all of this, it's, it's all here for me. How lucky am I? Mm. Gratitude, right? It's Gratitude just such a, for it's it. Su- it's such a simple, it's, <laughs> I feel like we, we, um, we as a collective, I say this, the coaching industry, I think we all try to create our own unique version of it. But at the end of the day, these concepts, these principles, they're all pretty fucking simple. Gratitude. <laughs> Can I be grateful for what is? Can I not take everything personally? Mm. Yes, my partner just spat the dummy there. Did they get a good night's sleep? Maybe not. Have they had a lot of pressure on them at work? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Can I be curious? Can I, can I, can I actually open my heart rather than close and go on the defense or go on the attack or 
withdraw and actually say, no, you don't deserve me. And this is um, one thing that I, I speak to a lot of people about in relationships is love as a currency. When we treat love as a currency, we treat it as a finite source, which means it's limited. But for me, love is, is infinite. It's, 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 it's overflowing. You can never not, there can never not be enough of it. It's not, love isn't actually an emotion in my, my, um, the way I see it. Love is the, the foundation of life. And when I remember that, then I just have to open myself, open my heart and let love come through. And love isn't a specific soft, like uh, soft and cuddly thing. Sometimes love is direct. Yeah, I was going to ask, what, what does mm. love mean to you when you say love? The truth. So if I'm close my heart because Meg, uh, I'll use a fun example. So Meg leaves the cap off the toothpaste. Fuck you, Meg. And it drives me fucking mental. <laughs> like, absolutely mental. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not your husband then. You, you would go insane with me. Yeah. <laughs> Continue Ed, though. I'm starting to see maybe yeah. this is why a few things have been triggered in my relationship. Does that mean the world's going to end though, that, that the toothpaste cap is off? Does that mean someone's going to die? I hope not. No. Our, so our household would so, fall apart. Why is it so big for me, right? It's a trigger. Mm. When I make that about me and I make her wrong for that, and I make it, oh, she's doing that just to hurt me. That's a pretty pretty aggressive assumption, right? Mm. And I don't know if you're like, have you read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz? Oh, many, many times. It's yep. my most <laughs> recommended book. Okay, good. I was yep. going to say, if, if you don't recommend it, I, I highly recommend it. And I, I tell all my clients, go and read that book. Yep. And read it again and again and again. And I'm going to read it again as well. Uh, but essentially, what love looks like in that moment is like me going saying, Hey, my love, I know this might not seem like a big deal to you and it's probably not a big deal to anyone else but me, but when you leave the toothpaste cap open and then it gets all dry and then it's really hard to squeeze the toothpaste out, that, that really, really upsets me. And what I need from you, me, that's a vulnerable thing to ask for what you need as a man. Right? I'm opening, I'm asking for what I need. And what I need from you, if you if you can, if you can agree to it, is for you to just just pop that cap back on every time you use the toothpaste. Could you do that for me? Because that would feel really, really loving. And she loved. She's like, of course. I didn't even know that was a problem. There you go. See <laughs> assumptions. Exactly. You assume that she knew, and then you take it personally. How and that's two of the agreements. Dare you? Never make assumptions. Don't mm. take anything personally. And Meg's got a, a list of things that I do. Just like that. Mm. And I've got a list of things that she does that's just like that. And love in that moment is to actually say, hey, this is what happened. This is how it makes me feel. And this is my request. I'm human. I have needs. I'm not this like rock that can't, you know, that nothing touches me. I'm sensitive. I have emotions. And if I'm not communicating that from an open place, which is to communicate from a place of love, then I'm withholding part of me from her. I'm withholding part and, and our relationship can only ever go to a certain depth. And if, I, and if I don't have that conversation and it comes up and I withhold it, it just creates more and more blocks in the channel between her heart and mine. And then all of a sudden she asks for something from me and I snap. No, can't do it. I'm too busy. Or the conversation then might go to 
you always ask that much of me and this and that. And then last week you did this and two weeks ago you did that and all this stuff comes out that Meg has no idea about. Yeah, we bring up the scorecard and yeah. we're like, okay, well, this is what you've done, you've done, you've done, you've done. And I haven't done anything wrong to you, but you've done all these things wrong to me, even though you didn't know that I was keeping score. Mm. And this is where we get stuck. And it's the beautiful thing about the modern world is that we have this equality, but then we treat everything like we're on the, on the field. Mm. We treat it like a, a, like a game, like a match that we need to win. When someone wins in a relationship, what's that mean? Someone has to lose. Lose, yeah. There is no winning. No. It's interesting because we, in my relationship, I find us both at times saying, hey, babe, do you mind if we speak about such and such? Yeah. Before it escalates. Yeah. And so we're quite open, as I said, like we, we do a lot of this. However, there is still those times in the heat of the moment where there'll be things come up and there'll be things that come out of my mouth and later on, I think, fuck, why did I even bring that up? Why is that even yeah. an issue? I'm, like, it doesn't, I don't even actually care about it. And it's like that little boy is triggered, mm. that tired, little, emotionally reactive boy within me is mm. triggered. What's the most common challenge in relationships that you come across in the work that you do? Men not being able to ask for what they want is, is a massive... No, men not even knowing what they want. Mm. This comes back to the choice thing, right? Men will take action and, and make decisions, but it's still from that I'm responding to the world, not from what wants to come through me. So men don't know what they want. Women know what they want. They're just too afraid to ask. Mm. So one of the things that I get men to do, I'm like, hey, bro, how much time do you need each week for yourself? Give me an hour. Give me hours. How many hours? And and guys will go, oh, I need four hours minimum. I'm like, not good enough. That's too open. Four hours minimum, that could be 48 hours. How many hours do you need per week for yourself? Six hours. Okay, what do you want to do in those six hours? Just for you. You're not allowed to do anything for anyone else, not your business, not your, not your partner, not your children, no charity, no nothing. This is selfish time. I want to play music. Amazing. Okay, how would you like to break that six hours up over your week? Oh, like, like realistically, you're not going to do 10 minutes here and there. Like, you probably need at least 60, 60 to 90 minutes. Am I right? And he's like, yeah, that feels about right. Okay, let's do four 90-minute blocks over the week. Okay, go and get your calendar. Oh, but I, go and get your calendar. Put it in the calendar. Make it a non-negotiable. And then they're like, oh, but, but, but what if, what if, what if? What ifs are going to be there no matter what, bro? And I get them to actually put it in the calendar and then they're like, they're having this like existential, they're starting to feel lightheaded because for the first time, they're putting themselves first. They're filling their cup. And I'm like, who are you after two hours playing some music? You're in flow, you're feeling good. You come home singing, humming tunes, you open, you come home open to your wife, your kids, you've got time and energy for them because you've given time and energy to yourself. And that's the biggest thing is that men don't even know what they want because they've never actually been asked or they've never asked themselves what they need. What about the partner that says, that's selfish, mm. I need my time? So as in I need my time, like she needs her own alone time? Yeah, well, that might be what's coming up. But also, um, is so I guess what I'm asking is, is it generally a blocker from the guys, not necessarily they don't know what they want, mm. but they're also afraid of that that might be t um, taken as the wrong way that they're taking away from. So in the dynamic uh, communication, it's mm. like, 
I'm doing this for myself so I can show up as a better version. Mm. And here I am holding the space and want you to map that out in your calendar as well. I'll take mm. the kids. I'll do something like that so that you've got that time for yourself too. That's where you have to honor whatever comes up. And if you taking 90 minutes every second day to play music creates a, a tsunami in your relationship, that's there for you to address. If your woman comes at you, but what about this, 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 and this? Oh, I never get time for myself. Then you get to, you get to be a man. You say, my love, I'm taking these 90 minutes because I need them for myself. And it makes me a better man when I do this. I'd also like to know what you need. Mm. So Tell that me. might be the piece of the puzzle that might be missing. So when men know what they want and they can choose it, they can then hold space for their partner as their partner finds what it is that they desire, not only as an individual but in the relationship. So this dynamic is so important and especially when kids get involved because that's a whole nother kettle of fish which I cannot wait for because I'm in this, I'm going to be the best parent ever and all the problems that everyone else has, I'm not going to have them because I'm going to be the best at it. And I'm just playing on that because I know that I'm going to get my ass kicked. <laughs> and everyone gives me that same look that you're giving yeah, me. Yeah, I've like, got nothing to yeah. say. It's just I'm just yeah. remembering back to that naive 30-year-old that I was saying the same things. Everyone gives you that same like, you just you wait. Yeah. Just you wait. You no, pick. but that's actually a fuck. I'll pick up on that. Um, I would never say that because I think that's an amazing attitude to go in with. Yeah. And without that attitude and without that perspective, you're not mm. going to have that drive to like, where are them? Where are my shadows? What what work haven't I done yet? Mm. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and you're not going to be triggered, but to actually see that within yourself. Mm. I wish more of us had that opportunity and that perspective now. So just keep saying it mm. and keep saying it to all the naive fathers-to-be as yeah. well because I think it's fucking beautiful. And I think it's a good reality check mm. as well once you do get hit and go, oh, right, that's where... That's what um, I still haven't done. That's where I can still, mm. you know, make an improvement. That's where I can still support my partner better or whatever it might be. That for me is like what you've just said is so perfect because when I have children, it's going to happen. You know, the, the experience is going to happen either way. So why not bring enthusiasm? Why not be bold and audacious in, I can't wait to be the best father ever. I can't wait to bring as much of myself as possible. And then when I do fall short or when I do have these moments of triggers or challenge, I'm meeting it from this place of enthusiasm. And even though, you know, failure, failure is going to be a part of my journey over and over again, at least I get to go boldly. <laughs> but very I, much. I fail every day and it's yeah. because I keep having the high expectations. <laughs> shoot, yeah, shoot high. I, I'm, I'm, I believe in, in, in dreaming big and, and, and setting a great vision for your life because like you said, our best days are ahead of us. How good is, how good is that to start from there rather than, oh, you know, we we will have some good days. We will have some bad days. Or even you know we have to be careful. We need, we don't want to we don't want to dream too big. Or we don't want to get too excited. Why not? Mm. Why not? I feel, yeah. <laughs> so, and just thinking about that, um, I've got friends and mentors of mine that have turned fifty recently, mm. and they're healthier than me and more active than me. And like life is amazing. I'm like, cool. Mm. That's what fifty will look like yeah and that's just the next step to the next decade like i'm lev i'm looking at the leverage points of each of them not going backwards and i see our relationship the same mm. um back to a little bit of a shifting gears you're 33 without children what's the demographic of men that you mostly work with that are mostly attracted to your work normally it's the guys between like realistically it's the early 30s it's the it's the guys ready to build build their kingdom uh but it's it, i've had guys in in 
my containers mainly between 25 and 45. They're in that I want to I want to create a life, but the model that I've been given doesn't really work. Mm. And I asked that because I bumped into one of your clients, I guess he is, but he's done work with you for oh, a while. Yeah, Scotty, Scotty yeah. at that Legend. Co, yeah. And the way that he spoke about you was the way the, the version of you that I had um, begin to learn and understand is a very mission-led man. And Scotty is, I don't know, he must be in his 60s. He's got grown kids mm. that are fleeing the nest at the moment. Mm. So he's not someone who is late 20s, early 30s looking to build mm. their kingdom. And that's what, what I've seen from the f- small amount of footage is that you've got this bandwidth of guys. Mm. So it's these guys that are ready to build their kingdom. It's guys that have built their kingdom and it's everyone in between by by the looks of it. But why, why do you believe that you can work with, if you're a 33-year-old man with no kids and you haven't had that life experience, why do you believe that you can impact the guys that are either like where I'm at with a two- and four-year-old, mm. where other fathers are at with young, uh, you know, 10, 12-year-olds or someone like a Scotty whose kids are fleeing or mm. have fled the nest? Because I focus on you. <laughs> I, I focus on who you are and where you're at. And meeting you, I'm here with you. You know, all of those things are external. And I know they mean a lot to you. I, like, I, like, I have no idea what's going to happen when I have a baby. Like, I, I sit and visualize, like, receiving a baby in my arms. And I literally, I nearly pass out with the overwhelming feeling of love. So I have no idea what it's like to have a child. It must be fucking crazy. But when I'm sitting with a man... That is something external. That's an external driver. I'm sitting with you. I want to know the depths of you. I want to know what moves you from deep within your core. And I believe all men, I call it the primordial thud. It's, the, it's your heartbeat. It's the thing that is eternal within you. I want, to, I want to access that. I want to have a relationship with that. Everything else is awesome, but I'm here with you. The primordial thud. I can love yeah. that. <laughs> and I guess it's too, in answer to my question is, is it because we're all dealing with the same shit? Is it because we're human beings? We're all human beings. We're all, and we're men. We're simple beings in a complex world. You know, the more I, the more I support men, the more I realize how simple life can be when we choose it to be. We all, we, and, and I, I bring it down to, Three, three areas of life. You've got yourself, you've got your relationships and you've got your legacy or your work. And normally it's just that there's an, incon- there's an incongruence with you not giving enough time, energy and resource to one of those three things. So Scotty came along to my men's connection event. I ran it for two years every weekend and we'd go out. And my whole thing was like, you, this is the two hours you put yourself first. And I don't care what you've got going on outside of this space. You are here to receive and deeply be nourished by nature by my words, by the waters, and by your own breath. Let's be here now. And yeah, man, I've I've had such a beautiful time guiding men in that because that that men's connection event came from me putting myself first. I said, I'm gonna go here every Saturday for two hours. And Meg and I, we called it single Saturdays. Not that we we're gonna go out and like fuck other people or try to like do this open relating stuff which is too crazy for me but it's like can I just focus on myself for four hours every Saturday so I'd wake up at 5am I'd go out to the Google Cascades the rock pools I'd sit down I'd meditate I'd do breath work I'd jump in cold water 
And then I'd come back and have coffee. And I was like, this is the greatest thing on earth and it cost me nothing. And then I just started posting, man, who wants to come and hang out in nature? Who wants to come and breathe together? And then I got to see that, oh, we're all men. We all are looking for a place to come and be still and just reset. And if we don't have a weekly reset, then we're just just burning the candle and waiting for our our holiday at Easter or, or Christmas. Or maybe we're waiting for a retirement. Or maybe we're waiting for that next thing where our kids to leave the nest. Maybe we're just waiting for our kids to get to school so we can have a bit of time to be with our partner. But that's going to be a belief that you hold, that you're just waiting, always waiting for something to happen, which is you're waiting for the world to change before you're going to make that decision. And that was what happened with, like, with guys like Scotty. They came and they got, to, they got to choose themselves every week for two hours. And men, men's lives, would like guys would come along and they'd have a complete transformation just by them choosing themselves, not because of what we did out there, just because they came out and like, oh, I'm not going to go and have breakfast with my partner. I'm not going to go and do a bit of extra work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually say, hey, this is what I want and I'm going to go do it. And that, that's what I believe a lot of men are looking for, the, the reference point and the permission slip to say yes to themselves. Talk to me about shame. One of the things that I've noticed come up a lot and I've experienced it myself, but a really common uh, challenge for men and a, an anchor for them, um, a, a blockage for them is shame. Mm. What's your experience with working with men and shame? Is it something that shows up in every time you run <laughs> workshops, every time you speak to a man, when you meet them, like you were talking about where they're at? Oh, man. Shame is one of my favorite things to work with because it is the most once you once you address shame, the freedom that you see in men's posture, the the brightness that comes from their their eyes, it is it is such a beautiful thing to liberate for men. It it is a it, it cloaks the soul. It really does. It, it puts the fire out. Um, whether that's sexual shame, whether that's shame around uh, your your anger whether that's shame around uh, a failure with money, uh, it, it, will, it will literally suppress and put your fire out. And a lot of men have, like, I, I speak of fire, the fire within, like I'm talking about like, yeah, when your fire is really, really tended to, it's burning brightly and it's able to ser- keep, you know, keep the family warm, cook the food, and it's a way for you to live your life. But when you have shame, it just throws a blanket over that fire. And even though you can still go to work and maybe you can still have sex with your, with your wife or take her out for date night, there's still a part of you that's not there. There's still a part of you that's sitting beneath that blanket, that shame blanket. It's in the shadows. So I don't really use the term shadow work, but we, we do processes where I get men to reveal, like reveal your truth. And one of the most brutal, <laughs> it's still, I can feel my hands wanting to close. Now we do a, we do a process where like, What's the thing you want no one to ever know? What's the one thing you want no one to ever know about you? And they're actually they're actually expressing it, or they're and just they have bringing to that to front of mind. No, and and now tell us. Mm. But before you do that, let me tell you mine because I'm a leader, and leaders go first because that's what love does. Mm. So here's mine. And every time I I I, I feel like spewing, every time I feel the, the shame around you know my sexuality, things that have happened to me in the past. 
my shame around money and the way that I've had a poor relationship with money, the things that I've done in the past that I want no one to ever know. And when I share that, I take that blanket off and I reveal who I am. I'm human. I'm imperfect. I've made mistakes. I've fucked up royally. I've done some pretty dumb shit. I've kept things from people that I wish I never did. I've done things that I wish I never did. But when I actually bring them into the space where I create a pretty, I, I do, I create a safe space where there's no judgment for this, this work to occur because you can't just do this at the, at the pub. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But yeah, that's that to me is like the if you want to really rip the band-aid off and deal with your shame, yeah, get into a space where you can say, what's the one thing? And I'm sure there's 10 things that you'd like to share, but there's the, the one beneath all of them. What's the one thing you want no one to ever know about yourself? And there's a great saying, uh, shame hates to have language wrapped around it. So what you're doing there <laughs> is allowing them to put that language <laughs> to that, which can help to... Um, disintegrate it and mm. one of the most common things that I find with the men when we do these um, these processes to help mm. them expose their shame and speak to it because it hates to have language wrapped around it is most of the guys go oh fuck I'm not the only one I'm not the only one that has this shame around mm. like you know problems with money or whatever it might be mm. like challenges in the past or shame about my anger or my frustration mm. or shame about not having achieved enough or whatever it is inside of them it, it's it's really liberating for other guys to go oh shit it's not just me mm -hmm. what is shame if you were to put an explanation to it is it a story is it past experiences is it a belief system what is it it's judgment of self i'm wrong for what i did what I did was wrong. Therefore, that part of me is wrong. Therefore, I'm not worthy. I'm bad. It's a, it's a way, it's a, it's, a, it's a construct to make yourself unworthy. Can it be wrong, but you are still worthy? So, for example, some guys would have a valid shame if they had cheated on their partner. Mm. So, and I, I, want, I always want to make that distinction where, mm. and I would love to hear you speak about this because, it's not to say, oh, just talk about it. It means it's okay. And then you can continue on if you've done something mm. um, very disrespectful in that way. Because most mm. of what I find about the shame is not those disrespectful things. They come up occasionally with the guys. Mm. But a lot of it is the shame around how they've been treated or past experience that they've had or not achieving or money mm. failures or business failures or something. Mm. But yeah, can they be, can they have done something that's wrong like that, mm. like disrespecting their partner and still be worthy? Yeah, of course. It's the perception that shame creates. Like for me, I believe worthiness is inherent. Like we're all worthy no matter what. And, and people, you can always, and if you want to argue with me on that, okay, I get it. Like, okay, is is Hitler worthy? You know, is he, should we should we let him, you know, if we try to like look for the outliers and we look for the major ones where we're like, well, what about this guy? Well, well you're just looking for ways to, you know, position your argument to make me wrong. Mm. But, Shame, yeah, shame is like that for me, like say cheating on your partner or uh, having something or, or have like losing a lot of money gambling or doing something. The shame may not be in like, yeah, you've done that, but it's the shame is what stops you from actually sharing that or bringing it to the light. It, it tries to cover it up. So is the action actually wrong or did it, you know, if we're putting things on right, a right or wrong perspective, then we're creating judgment, which then means that shame can fester. Whereas if you actually did that and you were able to communicate and express, hey, 
I did this. I'm, I'm not proud of it. I actually feel sick sharing it, but here it is. I got, I went into 20 grand worth of credit card debt because I didn't have the card. I didn't have, I didn't want to seem like I was failing. So I, I got a couple of credit cards and went into 20 grand credit, credit card debt. That's actually what happened to me. <laughs> and, you know, part, I can feel my heart tensing up. I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm sitting here. I'm, this is a beautiful, oh, how much money do you make? How much money? Oh, I get all chaotic. And that's the shame trying to judge me. Mm. Um, when in actual fact, hey, I did that. I'm still here. I'm human. I'm learning. And, yeah, if judgment comes for me, then that's my, that's my job to, to meet it. Or if my partner wants to judge me or if she wants to leave me because I've done something stupid, that's, that's part of the process. I can't make it right or wrong. And I think that's like for me, my coaching really is about not making anything right or wrong. It just is. It just is. Shame is a, is a way for us to make that thing wrong. You know, and the three things that have come up every single time, and I've done this with over a, you know, a couple of hundred men over the course of the last three years, is when we do the revealing your truth, I, I call it that. I don't call it a shame practice. I call it a revealing your truth because we're taking that blanket off and showing what's beneath it. The three things that come up, sexuality, money, anger. Mm. Sexuality, money, and anger. They're the three common denominators for men that they hold shame around. And it's tragic, man, because those three things are so beautiful when you have a relationship with them, when you don't judge them. And, you know, there's so much that can occur in a, in a man's life that society deems is wrong. You, you lose money or you fail at a business, go back to go, go get a job, don't try again. You, you blow up on the footy field or you punch on or you've, you, um, you have anger and you're not allowed, you don't know how to use it, you're a bad person. Go and suppress that. Don't learn how to use that. Go and suppress it. Sexuality, you want to explore your sex. You want to understand sexuality more. No, you're a man. Men, men just have sex in one position, do this one thing, and they get relief, and that's it. All of these one-dimensional approaches to such broad, to such broad topics, really cage men in and teach them. You know, we have such a a narrow range of what's right or wrong. And I'm not saying that you should be. You know, there there are there are rules that keep society safe. I'm not saying that you go and borrow a million dollars and then never pay it back and be a prick or, you know, go and punch on it with everyone that stirs you up and let your anger out on everyone else. I'm like not saying that. I'm saying that, yes, we do have rules that govern how to use these energies. But I think we can definitely open up the the the, the container of what is right and what is wrong. Just a little bit or even a lot. Because for me, it's 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 so hard to move through life when you're you're holding yourself in these narrow channels and telling yourself that you're wrong if you don't fit in that tiny little gap. Society makes it harder for us too, because isn't it crazy that it's weird or it can be rude or frowned upon to talk about money and sex? It's like mm. two main things in human existence that keeps us going forward, mm-hmm. and there is this weird fucking energy and like, oh, it's it's a little bit weird to talk about that or, you know, parents and grandparents' generations, especially mm. like passing down, it's 
it can be frowned upon. And I know that money stories can come a lot from that of, of generations of how that's brought up. But uh, being an avid podcast listener myself, I love hearing experts in these areas talk about the belief systems behind it and the structure and the thought processes that we have and mm. how that creates our reality through our subconscious patterning. But it's just crazy that sex and money, it's these two things that are frowned upon and that's what causes most of the shame and a lot of challenges in people's lives. Yeah, and they're both. Like, like sex and money are dri- they're, they're, they're driving forces of energy. They're creative for like they create things. Like mm. sex creates life. Money creates opportunity. Anger is like pure life life force wanting to move through you. I always just call anger just a build up of life force. It's a build up of your life force energy. And if you are constantly masturbating or constantly consuming and frying your dopamine receptors, then you're not going to know how to actually hold your anger and channel it in a healthy way you're going to try and find ways to suppress it or release it. Same with your sexuality. If you're constantly masturbating or watching porn or doing these things to to take the edge off and feel relief, you're not going to build a relationship with your sexuality. And society says don't. That, mm. That's that, you know Even um, we had a family holiday last weekend. We went down and for my mum's 60th and the conversation around sex came up and my dad, who I love, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, I remember when, yeah, your mum tricked me to going to the um, information night with one of you and I think it was with me. And he's like, oh, no, yeah, I don't – that's not my job. I don't want to talk about that stuff. They talk about women's business and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, the fact that you were so uncomfortable with that, like dictated my whole fucking teenage years mm. and I was so scared to get my fucking dick out in the change rooms. I was terrified to for other men to see me or to have any desire or, or – or, and I remember getting caught. Uh, I looked up boobs and, and sex positions on Google and my parents found the history and I got shamed. They told all of my family members and all my, my nan came up to me and she said, I can't believe you did that. That's disgusting. I would never do something like that. I'm like, you don't even have a computer. So how would you have done it? <laughs> I'm not surprised, yeah. man. <laughs> but there was such a shame blanket wrapped around my lineage with sexuality that like for like the last seven years, man, has been like hectic, hectic for me in my sexuality journey. Unraveling, unraveling. You know, I, my my dad was worried that I was gay. Then all my, you know, and I and then it comes out. Oh yeah, we were all we all thought you were going to turn out gay. What? Because I like to dance. What? Because I had this form of expression that, and I'm like, ah, oh, there's still a little bit of anger <laughs> towards my family. <laughs> but yeah, man, like that stuff, sex and money's money's my big one right now. Money, how do I how do I build that that new belief around money? Because yeah, once again, it was a we didn't tell anyone about money. We never told our, um, and you know, I found out some stuff around my parents, and I'm like, oh, oh, you guys are human. Oh, I just thought I had to like live up to this expectation, and then finding out all these other things about my grip. I'm like, oh, like you've had your experiences as well. Like that's why I believe stories are so important, and like sharing vulnerably and opening up especially with children at the right time or with friends at the right time with your parents at the right time is so important because it it takes that shame blanket and and peels it back and allows allows the truth to to come through powerful when you work with fathers what in your experience why do a lot of fathers struggle to connect with their sons hmm Or if they don't struggle to connect, why do a lot of fathers have, does conflict arise in the father-son relationship? 
because society okay this is this is something i've been jamming on hard like the last couple of weeks just in my own you know inner reflection because society expects fathers to love their children the way mothers do and that's not how men love and i've got a hundred stories i've got a hundred stories about how my father deeply loved me and I made him wrong for that because my mum would have loved me in a different way in that scenario. This is coming from other men, you mean? This yeah. A hundred yeah. stories yeah. coming from yeah. other... Men thinking that they have to love, like, because the way that their the, their partner loves their children, that they should be doing the exact, loving them in the exact same way. Whereas what I said before, like, love is opening your heart and bringing through the truth. And... um yeah, like I remember I told a story on a, a Facebook Live that I did around how I got in trouble at school and my dad had to come down to the principal's office. I, some, uh, one of my, well, he's now a good mate from back home, but he tripped me over and I turned around and I pegged the ball at his head and hit him in the head and then he came over and bashed me and we both got in trouble. And dad came, they rang my parents and they didn't get a hold of my mum, but they got my dad. He came down to the school and I was like, oh, dad, he, he did this, he did that. He's like, mate. What did you do? I was like, oh, well, he tripped me over, but then I threw the ball at his head. And then he's like, well, so you threw the ball at his head? I said, yep. He said, so are you meant to throw the ball at people's heads? I'm like, no. He's like, so you did something wrong? I said, no, no, no. I did. I wouldn't have done it if he – so you did something wrong? I was like, no, no, no. He, he did this. No, mate, you did something wrong. And I was like, yeah, but – he's like, okay, so you've done something wrong. You're at school. Principal's the boss here. You're going to have to tell the truth and deal with the consequences. I'm like, but dad, but dad, but dad, mate, deal with the consequences. He's like, this isn't my, this is, this isn't my domain. This is his school. I'm not going to come in here and undermine his, his school and his authority. You've done something wrong. You need to go and tell the truth and front up to whatever the consequences are. And in that moment, I hated him. And I thought, how dare you? You don't love me. But what he did was he gave me an opportunity to be responsible for my actions. And that was love. And a lot of men get shamed for that kind of love. My father got shamed for that kind of love. And a lot of men are scared to love in that way because they'll be made wrong for it. But what my dad gave me an opportunity to do there was take responsibility. That was a rite of passage. That was initiation. I'm so grateful that he loved me that day because he believed in me. He trusted that I had the capacity to, to face the consequences. Turned out it was a week of detention. I got to hang out with the guy that I threw the ball at and turns out we've got a whole lot more in common. Turns out that spending an hour each day sitting next to each other writing lines, we actually wanted to be friends. So the expectation of what love is can cause that conflict. One thing mm. that has come up for me from my perspective of my, my four years experience of fathering, so this is, only comes from that and witnessing mm. with all the men that I work with is we also attach our identity to our kids' behaviors. Yes. And it's dangerous mm -hmm. because we have these expectations that our kids will behave themselves and then when they don't, that's disrespecting who we are as a person. Mm -hmm. So that um, disassociating uh, our identity with their behaviors <laughs> is fucking hard, but it's really important because yeah. as soon as it's like that um, – one of the four agreements, don't take anything personally. Yeah. In that instance, when 
I don't even think about it and go, oh, he, he has disrespected me. Him behaving that way is disrespecting me. But it's mm. obviously just this subconscious patterning that I've got to keep working through. Mm. And the more I talk about it, the better it is because when it comes up in real time and I get triggered into fight or flight and I'm about to go there, I'm like, oh, hang on. That's, whoa, like that, that's where I was about to go. Or sometimes mm. I catch myself in the middle of it and then realize, oh, you, you pelican, like here you are again <laughs> reacting, thinking that his behavior is a reflection of you. Whereas he's got a four-year-old underdeveloped brain and being a four-year-old and doing what four-year-olds do. Mm. As, as much as I try and bring in discipline and teach him the right things, he's still going to do what four-year-olds do. Yeah, and they say um, even with like young boys, they talk about the amount of testosterone mm. compared to their body weight. Like it, it's a lot. It's uncontrollable. It's uncontrollable. You're Why like, they do it? Yeah, and for them, another thing that I always look at is like, so he's been alive. His spectrum of time is four years. So you may have been alive for forty years, or we'll just use that so it makes sense in calculation. So one of his years is equal to ten of your years. So he's going through stuff at a much more rapid rate. Time is moving a lot more fast for him because he's only got a spectrum of one of those four years. And that, that can be really confronting, like to have that, that, that perspective on life and to expect him to have 40 years of perspective. <laughs> well, and I'm a, I, I want to bring the example back to how old were you when your dad came to the school, roughly? 13, I think, yeah. So what your dad did there mm. was brilliant. Yeah. Because the opposite to that could be if he blew up, and this is why I want to speak to it, because a lot of dads with kids around that age, mm. uh, it's really difficult and they're blowing up at their kids because their kids are doing things that, mm-hmm. and doing stupid things and making stupid decisions or just boy shit like what you were talking yeah. about there. And to blow up would be looking at it from you know, maybe many perspectives, but that you've disrespected me, you've mm. disrespected the family name, like maybe a really old school type mentality. The way yep. your dad... Um, Mm. expressed his love, as you put it, and uh, spoke to it in that way is admirable. Yeah. That's a prime example of at that older age to be able to, um, regardless of the kid's age, but be able to take it for what it is mm. and to let the lesson be learned for the kids. Not And not to protect me from my own learning. Mm. You know, my mum's super protective and she would have come in, blown up, taken me out of school and said, no, you are all wrong. Don't you dare. Don't you dare threaten my beautiful that was my mother at all child. the times i ran a mark yeah <laughs> whereas like um they there's a great book um I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you but there's a book called the wonder of boys by a guy called michael gurian he tells this story about young boys going down into the basement and they grab a whole heap of darts and they turn the light off and they start throwing darts at each other in the dark <laughs> <laughs> are you sure they're young boys <laughs> they're like a baby eight or nine they're like that, that you know that age we just like do dumb boys. shit <laughs> And anyway, I'm pretty sure I've done that, actually. Yeah. Turn the lights off yeah. and uh, throwing darts around. Yeah, we, I've done that, boys. but with lollies, and we, we nearly knocked a guy's eye out. So, But anyway, this story made me laugh so much because one of the kids gets a dart through the cheek, <laughs> and all the boys freak out, and they're like, oh, shit, 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 what do we do? They pull the dart out. They realize that nothing's too wrong. So what do they do? They, in, they innovate. They all go and get their swimming goggles, they're like, oh, I nearly took someone's eye out. So they go, they all put their swimming goggles on and they go down and they play again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to stop young boys from doing dumb shit. Mm. But you can help them do things in a more contained way, which is why right of Pat, got, young boys are going to look for ways to, to, to get close to death, no matter what. 
This is why you know motorbikes are exciting to young men. That's why we want to run at each other on the footy field. That's why we want to climb to the tree and or we want to do this the um, rope swing out into the middle of the river. Like that's why we want to go out and swim out to the the shark nets. You know all of these things. We're looking for ways to uh, expand and 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 see what's available outside of our comfort zone. Rites of passage and initiation experiences are so important. And a lot of men who maybe grew up with a more of a maternal figure, their mother being more present, which is when you say, you know, men have an active role in your son's life, but don't be a second mum. Don't be a hairy mum. Play the role of father. <laughs> yeah, well said. Play the role of father. And I, I can only say that from my role as a son and my role as a – I like to play um, – the role that I play in a lot of my um, friends' children's life, I like to, I want to be, I'm like, I'm Uncle Jacob to every kid. I love kids. But I want to be kind of like Rafiki from The Lion King, you know, like mm. the crazy monkey shaman. I'm like, let me be the revealer of mystery. Let me take you and, and share with the unknown. And we had a um, a friend, one of my close friends now, he brought his son over who's about 10 years old. And we're doing some, we're chopping up firewood. And he's like, oh, I'll bring, I'll bring my kid, I'll bring my son. I was like, bring him, bro. Anyway, we get there and I was like, what do you need? And he was trying to pick up wood and I was like, I'll get you a pair of gloves. And then I gave him the tomahawk and I showed him how to use the tomahawk and then I just let him. I was like, if he swings and hits his leg and he needs stitches, that's I have to trust that. I'm going to show him how to use it safely and then give him the opportunity to do it. But if I stand there and watch him and try to, and every time he swings, I, I flinch, I'm not trusting him. I'm not giving him the opportunity to trust himself. What am I projecting onto him? And I think as a father or as a male role model in a child's life, you have a duty to trust them and take responsibility for how you let them live, let them be be their own man or start to develop their own characteristics, their own experiences of consequences. Yeah, I have a vision and my wife and I talk about a lot where I would love for us to travel the world or when we're in Australia, just finding um, Mm. different areas around the country and doing it in different ways where the kids are exposed to different elders or different people and different environments Mm. and just spending time. Like, what's your address? I'm going to bring the kids up to spend time with Uncle Rafiki. Yeah, come up to, we're in Benogan at the moment, man. Come up and shop us. Yeah, but I'll I'll be handing axes and fireworks out to everyone. Yeah, don't tell my wife that a four-year-old's going to have an axe and a tomahawk, but I think he's ready. But that kind of exposure to Mm. other elders, other environments, other tribes Mm. around the world is an absolute no-brainer. I want our kids to have multiple or be Mm. exposed to multiple rites of passage and multiple influences Mm. that are outside kind of the the quote-unquote norm. And Dr. Arne Rubenstein, he's been on the podcast twice and we're going to have him on again shortly, but he's he's just created this rite of passage – I'm going to say this word. I don't even know if it's right. No, nomenclature? No, nomenclature? I haven't heard that word. Yeah, I might have made it up. Now, I think it fits in here. Love how my brain works sometimes. Anyway, what he's created is uh, it's amazing, it's necessary, and it's also fucking crazy that we're absolutely desperate for it in this world. How is it not part of the school system? Exactly right. Like it boggles when, my mind. When we look at all the challenges, every person I – I work that I speak to that works with human beings on human behavior talks about this miss what's missing in our lives and whether they mm. use the word rite of passage or not it's these big transitions mm. or initiations or rites of passage yeah and if we can really like zoom out on that and just go well hang on where where could that fit in mm. well fucking school <laughs> <laughs> like 
got a system that we teach kids in. Wouldn't it be cool if we added something awesome like this in? And with um, mm. parenting, like I wasn't taught how to be a parent, but it'd be really cool if people came along and said, hey, we know the parenting journey is really hard, but if you expose your kids to challenges outside of what you're creating, <laughs> like because we as parents, we create a lot of challenges for our kids as well. Yeah. You know, these guided challenges, it's actually a really good way for them to develop physical, mental, emotional, spiritual abundance and resilience. And they yeah. need this shit. That's uh, that's it. I think like res- the word you used last day, resilience, like I think a lot of men don't don't trust themselves in that in that realm of of resilience. So it's very hard for them to teach that to their children, which brings me back to initiation. If you're a 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old man who's never consciously chosen initiation, which is like, I am going to put myself through a rite of passage. Life is going to give you them to you anyway, whether you like it or not. But when you can consciously choose them, you get to like experience what it's like to prepare rather than wait or rather than something be forced upon you. So just in the last year, I, um, I chose to go on like a 10-day wilderness rite of passage before my getting married. So I went up north and lived um, up, right up the Gulf, and I went hunting. Um, with, was it with Adam Cavanaugh? With Adam, yeah. did you really? I did the ten oh, days. Oh, fair income. Yeah. brilliant. So we and I, you know, I'm from the country, man. I grew up around pig chasers and roost shooters, and not once did I ever want to do it. I was such because I didn't trust men because my mum told me that men were bad and things that. So I stopped doing anything that made me seem like a man. Uh, interesting. I, I owned a 22. I owned knives. I, owned, you know, my dad wanted to buy me motorbikes. He wanted to take. He wanted to take me, but I thought men were bad, so I stopped doing anything that made me seem as though I was becoming a man. Grew my hair long. Started wearing all tight clothes. Listening to quite um, emotional music and more focused on the, what I would say would be feminine traits, which aren't bad. I think it's necessary, but I denied any of my masculine traits. So I went and did this hunt, man, and like. I have never been so freaked out but excited and felt so alive after coming back from this. Chasing goannas and tackling, you know, this like Mickey bulls and, you know, killing things and like being put, like I had to like literally like be put in the face. Like I, we caught a, a freshwater croc and did all this crazy. And to him, it's normal. Adam's like, oh yeah, this is awesome. And I'm <laughs> Just like, another day in the office <laughs> for Adam. I'm freaking the fuck out. But after it, I had this sense of, fuck, I'm a, I can do shit. Mm. And that to me, when I got married, it showed me just how willing I was to choose it. I chose myself deeply to go through that rite of passage. I could have died up there, realistically. I could have, a brown snake could have climbed in the swag and bit me and I could have died in my sleep. There's so many things that could have happened. But I chose to go and do that to prepare to say yes to marrying the woman that I love for the rest of my life. And when I did that, I was so, so ready to marry her after that. I was like, I'm ready for you. I am like, I'm returning to you as this man capable of being responsible for you for the rest of our lives. That might not happen. I still don't know. You know, anything can happen. I'm still exposed to that, but I'm choosing that. Same sort of thing happened um, when I turned my birthday. I I chose to run a hundred (laughs) kilometers and I did that in a day. And then more recently was um, I'm really feeling the call to fatherhood. So I went and did a vision quest, which is four days and um, four nights. We only did three nights this one. We didn't, we didn't have enough time, unfortunately, with the elder. But we did four days, three nights, no food, no water, sitting beneath a tree on the side of a mountain. And what did to, that teach you? 
uh, that there's nothing really to do <laughs> on a vision quest yeah. like that. Yeah, there's nothing that we really we force so much into the world. We force. Oh, so it wasn't world. that there's nothing to do on those four days, but no. in there's in the really world. nothing to do, man. Like really, if we actually stop doing so much, the answers would reveal themselves. Why don't we stop doing shit then? Let the answers come through. Because our worth is determined by what we create, mm. by what we can achieve. Because we're focused, we'll bring it right back to the Stars podcast, because men are put on a linear scale. We're not seeing life as cycles. Mm. We're not seeing life as a circle. We're not honoring the seasons. Which is crazy because we're nature. And nature has what? Cycles and seasons. So why deny our, iner- our inherent truth that we are nature, that men go through cycles how do we acknowledge cycles with rites of passage, with initiation experiences, boy to man, man to leader, leader to father, father to elder, elder to ancestor. Where are we not honoring these cycles? Crazy. Crazy. Powerful. <laughs> Love it. In alignment with the unbeatable philosophy. So to live an unbeatable life is not to be, doesn't mean that we're immune to and we'll never be exposed to the, the bricks and the buses in our life. <laughs> it actually means that because we're human, we will experience those. And in my experience of working uh, in human behavior over the years, mm. um, I created the unbeatable philosophies and unbeatable you based on how humans can be exposed to these challenges, to these adversities, to uh, the, the depth of what is um, the human experience that we hold ourselves back from. But throughout mm. these challenges, they're not beaten by them. And so what I'd love to hear from you now is uh, one or two things that you could leave the listeners with to help them start to design or to live their own unbeatable lives based on your experience or your perspective of the world. Mm. Okay. A lot of men's work focuses on what are your values and what are your vision. What's your vision for life? And when, what are the values that you're here to uphold? I would invite you to get a piece of paper, write 1 to 25 down the side and write at the top, the desi- my desires. And I want you to write your de- the, the desires that you have for your life. And then I want you to then put match and see whether your values and your vision include any of those desires. It's a really confronting experience. Because what you may find is that a lot, you know, you might be upholding your values and you might have a vision, but there's no area for you in those values or vision. It's all about other people, which I celebrate you for. I love that you're so devoted to serving your woman, your children, and your community. But please do not forget about yourself. So this is a deep. This is one thing that all men that I work with refuse to do first, and I have to remind them. But come back and work out what your desires are. And then you can start to actually uphold your values, add some stuff into your vision and create a lifestyle that honors what you need. So that would be the first thing, desires. Powerful. Mm. Good starting point. (laughs) Where can the listeners find you and follow you online to learn more about your podcast, Mm. to learn more about your workshops and these amazing initiation retreats that you run? Where's the best place to find you? Hit me up on Facebook. It's Jacob O'Neill. You'll find me. I've got a pretty funny photo of my face there. You'll see it, the bald head and the beard. But um, pretty generic men's coach, Viking-looking dickhead. But anyway, the that or uh, <laughs> you're Insta- a bit Viking. I know, actually, yeah, I've, I've, I'm very. I watched Vikings and I was like, I want to look like this. I nearly convinced myself to get a head tattoo. 
the other place <laughs> is um the, at at the Jacob O'Neill over on Instagram. But um, yeah, I have a I have a big vision and and a part of that man. And the second thing that I would say that to that unbeatable you is like don't don't be afraid to spend time with men outside of your age bracket or your inner network. So before you Google how to change a tire or how to fix this, see if there's someone you can call. See if there's a man in your life that you could call and ask for help. When something goes wrong with my car, I could Google it or I could call my father and create a deep connection and ask him for help and give him an opportunity to impart wisdom. So where are you not expanding to ask for help and trying to find find it so you don't have to actually build a relationship? And that's the second piece to that desire is like, it's all well and good to know what you want. And then where can you like let life give you opportunities to create connections with men outside of your age bracket, maybe older, maybe younger, and then outside of your network. So outside of the people that have the same activity base as you. And that's super important. And that's a big part of what I'm creating for later this year with my, my big retreat is collapsing the separation between men's communities and, um, and the generations. It's about bringing us all together because we're all men. Like what we spoke about there before, it doesn't matter that you're not a father and you haven't got the same experience as that person and that person and Scotty. No. What matters is that you see them for who they are mm. and we all show up and we're all treated in that way for who we are and when, what we've done or what we've got. And when we come together and we share, whether it's our deepest, darkest secrets or our greatest wins, oh, I'm not alone. Mm. Oh, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that makes us a whole lot more similar than different. Oh, this is awesome. We're men. We're, we're, there's a brotherhood here. There's something that binds us. How great is that? Because when one of us heal, we all heal. Yeah. The collective heartbeat of brotherhood, man. Let's, let's do it. Let's, you know, I'm not here to say that the world needs it, but. I think it does. I think it needs more men living this way, owning their power and and choosing to, to live on their own terms. Mm. Love it. Jacob, you're a legend. I want to acknowledge you for your mission-led approach to this work from a very aligned space. It sounds like that you've listed your desires and you're uh, very aware and living in alignment with values, visions, and desires. Mm. It's super inspiring to see you step up and pave the way in in this space i agree with you there that this work is actually needed and it's because of the ripple effect that it has into the lives of the beautiful women that the mm. men step back into the the children lives that they lead and also the community keep shining your abundant light to the world my man mm. thank you bro that means a lot thank you so much i appreciate you appreciate you yes there you go another empowering episode and thanks again for tuning in make sure you check out the show notes for any extra links or information that we spoke about in this episode don't forget you can now catch the unbeatable you podcast on the youtube channel brett robbo coach if you want info and inspiration straight into your inbox on how to live an unbeatable life you can sign up to receive weekly insights and actionable steps for optimal performance and thriving in every aspect of your life plus first release offers on Unbeatable You courses and live events. Don't worry, there's no spam, just short, punchy, value-giving emails straight to you. Simply go to brettrobbo.com forward slash community. If you find value in this podcast, don't forget to share it around with your mates and subscribe, rate, and review. It really supports the podcast mission massively. 
If you want to reach out to me personally, you can connect with me at, at Brett Robbo Coach on social media, and that's where you can let me know who you want to hear on the show. Keep thriving, legends, and as always, remember, if not you, then who? If not now, then when? This is your opportunity to live your unbeatable life. Oh, 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 o